Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. Each week we talk about heart rate variability and how it can be used to improve your overall health and wellness. Please consider the information in this podcast for your informational use and not medical advice. Please see your medical provider to apply any of the strategies outlined in this episode. Heart Rate Variability Podcast is a production of Optimal LLC and Optimal HRV. Check us out at OptimalHRV.com. Please enjoy the show. Welcome, friends, to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. I am Matt, back here with my good friend, Dr. Ina Hazan. Ina, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me back, Matt. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to, I'm kind of glad we're, we're hitting the hundreds of episodes now because th- there was one chapter in your book, uh, you know, one of the ways that I was introduced to your great work uh, on the idea of temperature biofeedback. And I guess, you know, as, as our listeners know, I get fascinated if it relates to me. And I always, I feel like as I do my morning residence frequency breathing practices, I sometimes even work up a sweat, which question mark why, it's kind of gross. So I I don't know if you can solve that problem for me. Uh, But I've been fascinated ever since reading that chapter in your book. Um, And let me do a plug uh, for biofeedback and mindfulness in everyday living. Everyday life, sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at it right on myself. Biofeedback and Mindfulness in Everyday Life by Dr. Ina Hazan. Great book uh, that that is, I think, just such a gift to the world. So I, I want to kind of start out just with temperature biofeedback question mark. Well, what are we talking about here and relating this to heart rate variability as well? Yeah, so uh, temperature uh, is probably one of well, one of the earliest um, uh, biofeedback uh, methods. You know, skin conductance, which I know we'll talk about at some point, is the earliest. Uh, but you know, temperature, uh, you know, probably you know comes right after that. Um, the idea is that we actually have uh, you know a fair amount of influence uh, over our peripheral temperature, right? So we're talking about you know temperature uh, of the fingers, toes, nose, ears. Uh, so we're not we're not talking about core body temperature. I think that's an important distinction to make. Uh, you know your core uh, body temperature, which needs to stay around at ninety eight point six uh, degrees, uh, is different. And then there's peripheral body temperature, which for your fingers, uh, you know, needs to be somewhere between eighty eight and ninety five degrees. So quite a bit lower um, than your core body temperature. Your toes can be even a little bit cooler than that. You know, eighty five to ninety three degrees uh, uh, Fahrenheit. Um, and you know, we have a fair bit of influence. You know, for people who often have cold hands um, and there are a lot of people who do that right a lot of people yes. walk around with cold hands uh, and many of them don't really kind of don't really give it a second thought uh, but it actually tells us something about the functioning of their autonomic nervous system um, so for people whose uh, fingers are cold a lot of the time it means that their blood vessels are constricted um, and uh, that indicates uh, a, an overly activated uh, stress uh, system, right? So the sympathetic part of the nervous system is uh, overly activated, constricting the blood vessels and lowering uh, the body temperature. And then if we're going to relate that back to HRV, uh, it means that there is a dysregulation in the autonomic nervous system, right? That means that 
sympathetic is uh, not being uh, regulated properly, you know, through the self-regulatory mechanism. Um, and there may be an issue with heart variability um, as well. So I, I think I, I imagine uh, there, there's a good portion of our listeners are like, oh, wait a minute, my hands, my feet get cold or always cold. So I, I just kind of want to uh, rewind that because I, I think that's a real fascinating thing with this. Is there like, uh, do we have a genetic set point? Is everybody with cold hands uh, sort of maybe having a dysregulation in the autonomic nervous system? For those that might uh, find themselves uh, in that category of cold hands people, I think that'd be half my friends uh, that, that I think of. Is is there, how should people kind of think about this? Is this a, a, a sign that's kind of universal about dysregulation, genetic, genetic? Uh, well, what should people be thinking? Um, you know, I'm actually not sure about the genetic component. I mean, I think everything has a genetic component. Yeah. So safe bet to say that probably is, uh, you know, because, you know, it has this has to do with the way that your beta adrenergic receptors are functioning. And, you know, we're not going to get into that nitty gritty uh, but uh, those beta adrenergic receptors, you know, have you know have to do with our sympathetic nervous system functioning, um, and they can be uh, overly um, activated. Typically, uh, these receptors get activated uh, when uh, we're either cold, like you know, out in yeah. the snow, uh, or uh, with emotional uh, stimulation, with stress, you know, with difficult emotions, etc. Um, so. Let me just say that all of us at some point have the experience of having cold hands. Yeah. Um, and that does not mean that there is a problem. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we can talk about kind of the mechanism in there and why that happens uh, as part of absolutely normal functioning. Um, and then there are people who have chronically cold hands for whom it's or feet. It's just like, you know, my hands are always cold. Uh, does it mean that you have a big problem? Well, no. I mean, it's certainly not helpful to talk about anything in these absolute terms. Yeah. Uh, but there may be a correlation. You know, I sometimes perform a bit of a magic trick. Uh, if, uh, you know, somebody comes to me uh, with uh, migraines, right? You know, they have frequent migraines and I ask them, how oh, do you happen to have cold hands? Um, and they go, how did you know that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so no actual magic, but there is a very strong correlation between uh, chronically cold hands and migraines and people don't connect that uh, people who uh, have a lot of anxiety will also uh, often have uh, cold hands um, and you know the reason for it is because both uh, uh, both of these experiences are due to this uh, uh, dysregulation uh, in the um, autonomic nervous system right so the uh, people who have anxiety and migraines and you know high blood pressure and kind of other things uh, their nervous system is not regulating itself properly um, and that results in sympathetic nervous system being overly activated um, constricting your blood vessels and lowering your uh, your finger temperature um, so it's not that your cold hands are causing your migraines uh, or you know anxiety uh, but they both, but they are both related uh, to the same uh, mechanism. Um, and uh, I guess the good news is by teaching people to warm their hands, dilate their blood vessels, we can actually make a difference in uh, you know things like migraines and anxiety uh, because through teaching people to warm up their hands, we are teaching self-regulation. 
in similar ways as we do with um, heart rate variability, um, just targeting a different aspect of the physiology. Fascinating. So, so we we see additional sympathetic activation. I'm assuming bringing in all the vocab words we've had on these uh, episodes over the years now, where we're probably seeing less activation of the vagal break. Would would that be uh, something that we could see related to that cold hands as well? Or are we just talking about uh, I, I know just talking about sympathetic is probably way too oversimplified, but are we seeing uh, ventral vagal activity uh, as a measure of the warmth of your hands uh, as well? Um, sort of, uh, not directly, not directly. So you are, um, uh, or not, not your, our blood vessel uh, diameter um, is regulated by sympathetic nerves only. So there is no mm. parasympathetic innervation uh, in your peripheral blood vessels, right? So this is what I mean by sort of. Right, you know, your vagal nerve is the parasympathetic nervous system, yeah. right? And there is no parasympathetic innervation of the peripheral blood vessels. Uh, so, as uh, vagal nerve activity increases, um, there is often a uh, shift towards uh, dilated blood vessels and a lowering, uh, you know, of the sympathetic nervous system. But it's, you know, you know, it, it's indirect, right? Uh, it. it, it we actually need to decrease the sympathetic uh, activation uh, in order for the blood vessels to dilate and figure temperature to increase. Uh, so this is one of those uh, situations where there is not a direct uh, pathway uh, to the vagal nerve. All right, so uh, help, help me put some of the pieces, because I know a few of our listeners are gonna reach out to me if I don't ask this question is, I, I, I was, uh, assuming it maybe i've been using the wrong language uh so so this will be great for our listeners as well taking this journey with me is i i was sort of thinking is that what we were learning re- fairly recently is like the sympathetic doesn't necessarily get more or less active the vagal break gets more or less active but it sounds like and maybe we're talking about Maybe that's a heart rate variability system versus a temperature system where there might, where there may not be sympathetic activation and impacting heart rate variability, but there might be in temperature. Are we talking about two like different aspects of the sympathetic or am I just kind of way off in outer space at this point? <laughs> You're definitely not way off in outer space this is a slightly di- i mean obviously everything is uh everything is connected uh but our sympathetic nervous system does have its own mechanisms that are not um you know directly uh related uh to the to the vagal nerve so you know these beta adrenergic receptors uh do function um independently when the parasympathetic nervous system activity increases and you know we relax it will it will absolutely you know work to decrease sympathetic help our you know our hands to warm up so you know oftentimes with uh, uh, people who have cold hands the first line of intervention uh, is uh, to teach uh, heart variability uh, uh, breathing and often one of the side effects of uh, HRV breathing uh, is warmer hands so there's absolutely um, a relationship but it's not um, as direct as actually you might see with heart variability, because you know with the uh, 
with the heart, uh, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic are both uh, playing, you know, they're, they're both playing in the field, right? You know, yeah. they're both there. Uh, with your uh, blood vessels, the uh, there is only sympathetic. Um, there is only sympathetic activation. It does respond to parasympathetic uh, activity, uh, but it's also separate. So it, it is actually possible for the you know uh, beta adrenergic for these receptors uh, to become overactive, or they also have a tendency to um, have a harder time decrease you know uh, decreasing their activation uh, for people who tend to have cold hands, um, and. Uh, uh, that's not directly related uh, to parasympathetic, right? It does have its own activity. Fascinating. So, so in some ways, with temperature biofeedback, which we'll 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 start to define what that is, you you're sort of you you you're maybe regulating something slightly different yet related to heart rate variability biofeedback. All right, I'm getting a head nod from Eno, which which I. Yes. I uh, like I, I'll I'll take that. So very cool. Is is there any? I, I'm assuming kind of I'm I'm pushing this to like I usually do a degree that's pr- probably unpractical and not necessarily scientific. But but there, if I'm doing heart rate by variability biofeedback, I, I probably if I add temperature biofeedback to it, it's probably. Let's say, because when I think about sympathetic activation, I'm thinking about maybe more anxiety disorders. Um, Whereas I'm like, ooh, I could just work on different part, a slightly different part of the sympathetic system if I'm doing temperature versus HRV biofeedback. But but my assumption is I'm probably getting benefits from both of those in in kind of the same way for the my issue of anxiety. Am I am I close to being on on a, a correct page there? Yes, yeah, yeah, very much so. So uh, there is definitely uh, a benefit to incorporating various modalities of biofeedback in general. Yeah. Um, temperature in particular, uh, because it hits that you know slightly different uh, side that doesn't directly that doesn't get directly affected by the parasympathetic activity. Uh, so. Um, with something like anxiety, because it's, uh, you know, anxiety is actually very well regulated through uh, HRV biofeedback. Uh, but, you know, if somebody is prone to anxiety and they tend to have cold hands, we'll start with HRV biofeedback. Uh, and it's, you know, likely going to help them a whole lot. But let's say their fingers are still cold much, of the, you know, some of the time, much of the time, uh, they will, they, they will probably see a, an improvement in finger temperature with HRV biofeedback, but it may not, the cold hands may not resolve completely. Um, and then uh, let's say, you know, uh, anxiety benefits from uh, HRV biofeedback, but there's still some work to do. So this is where you can bring in temperature uh, biofeedback. So you're getting, again, at self-regulation in a slightly different way, and you're going to benefit from both. It will just uh, going to help improvement uh, go further along. And this is particularly likely with migraines. Uh, and with uh, people who have high blood pressure. So, you know, with uh, with migraines, because constricted uh, and overly dilated blood vessels are such a big part of the migraine process. Uh, it's not the cause, but it's part of the migraine process. Again, we might start with HRV biofeedback, um, but a lot of people who have migraines also have cold hands, uh, and the cold hands may not get completely resolved uh, through HRV biofeedback. So that's where we're going to add 
uh, temperature biofeedback to further improve migraine symptoms. And, you know, in our clinic, that is often what we are, what we end up doing. Um, with high blood pressure, uh, similarly, uh, your blood pressure is regulated actually uh, through two mechanisms. One is through the heart rate. Um, you know, your blood pressure and the heart rate are directly related, right? As your blood pressure increases, uh, your brain sends a signal to the heart to decrease the heart rate and the force of contractions in order to decrease your blood pressure. And then as your blood pressure decreases, your brain sends a signal to increase your heart rate and increase the force of contractions, raising your blood pressure. So there is that loop. Uh, and then there is the vascular loop. Uh, and that, you know, a lot of your blood pressure regulation happens through those small uh, peripheral blood vessels. Mm. Uh, so as your um, blood pressure uh, increases, your, you know, the brain sends a signal for the blood vessels uh, to dilate, uh, thereby decreasing the blood pressure. Uh, and as your blood pressure decreases, the brain sends a signal for your blood vessels to constrict, thereby uh, increasing the blood pressure. So there is, you know, the, the vascular loop. Um, and for people who have uh, high blood pressure, um, when they're fingers uh, get cold when their blood vessels constrict, it raises their blood pressure, right? So there's a very direct relationship between yeah. uh, cold hands and increased uh, increase blood pressure. Um, and with heart, with heart variability biofeedback, we are working on the, um, that cardiovascular loop. And then we can add the thermal biofeedback to work on the vascular uh, loop. And then, you know, both will benefit uh, the, uh, the high blood pressure problem. Fascinating. So, so when you're doing, you know, biofeedback in your office, are you looking at temperature as well as heart rate variability or are those kind of, are you running separate different sessions or exercises for those? Or is that all kind of feeding in um, to, to what you're paying attention to with the technology? So the, um, when I first, uh, when we see somebody for the first time in our clinic, uh, we run something called a stress profile where we hook up all the modalities that we have yeah. access to, you know, heart rate, heart durability, temperature, skin conductance, muscle tension, uh, breathing, you know, all of it. Um, and we get an idea of how is this person's nervous system overall functioning at neutral times and mild stressful times and recovery times. Um, and that, uh, and we'll also do a relaxation profile to see what happens uh, when the person is uh, giving themselves a chance to relax. How do all these uh, areas of physiology respond? So those assessments give us a good overview of you know what's going on with the person. And where they're likely to catch, you know, uh, their cold hands involved, you know, at baseline when the people are stressed, uh, you know, the, the, do the cold hands resolve during recovery or not, et cetera. So we get a pretty good idea uh, of uh, what's happening. And that points us to which modalities of biofeedback we're going to employ and, you know, in which, in which order. Um, and we usually use that as a jumping off point. And yeah. then once we get going, um, you know, we're only going to use the modalities that are indicated um, okay. by the person's profile, as well as uh, through research, right? You know, we always use both empirical data and the person's, you know, individual uh, uh, data to formulate uh, to formulate their training plan. So if we know we'll be doing HRV and temperature together, we might start on HRV first, and we might be monitoring the temperature because, temperature. as I mentioned, it will change as a result of HRV biofeedback. And then, um, uh, as the person has a good hang of HRV practice, we'll switch our attention more to thermal biofeedback. Um, and at that point, they're likely see an improvement in temperature already um, and we'll kind of you know finish it up with uh, a more specific focus on temperature 
Love that. So the, the bad thing about temperature heart rate variability is it's incredibly expensive or not to practice at home. So one of the things that I, I loved about this uh, this chapter of the book is that it's something that's pretty much, I don't know if there's a cheaper form of uh, biofeedback, but like if somebody wanted to practice at home, uh, and they don't have fancy equipment. What what might be a, a good way for them to to kind of test this out? I, I know maybe not the most scientifically, not the most data driven way, but in, in the book, I loved uh, the one of the activities that you gave for people to really do this at uh, for for maybe just a couple pennies. Yeah. So I will. Well, I'll answer that question first, and then I'll, you know, I'll give an example of a more scientific, but still, you know, financially responsible way to do this. <laughs> <laughs> so the fun and inexpensive way uh, is to use chocolate. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is actually a practice that I learned from Dr. Eric Pepper. Uh, I did not make this up, but I loved it when I first uh, heard it from him. Um, and, you know, you, you, so you can use uh, different kinds of chocolate because, well, chocolate melts when you hold it in your hands. We probably all have an experience of yeah. sticky chocolatey hands if we hold a uh, chocolate candy too long. Um, and uh, dark chocolate, milk chocolate and white chocolate melt at different temperatures. Uh, so, you know, white chocolate melts at the lowest temperatures, then milk, and then dark chocolate is the hardest to melt. Uh, so it's it's a, not a very precise uh, uh, <laughs> instrument, <laughs> but it's delicious and it's fun yes. and it's cheap. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you know, it would be a nice thing to do with children, uh, too. Uh, you know, if you know you can't, your hands are quite cold, you might start with, you know, a piece of white chocolate and, um, you know, using your mind and kind of warming techniques that we can talk a little bit about uh, uh melting that white uh white chocolate so that's kind of your first stage uh and then the second stage is you're going to melt some melt milk chocolate and then you know as your final challenge you know you're going to melt some uh dark chocolate uh, dark chocolate tends to melt you know closer you know it's like above 90 uh degrees so and that's what we want we want to teach people to raise their finger temperature to about 95 uh, 95 degrees. So dark chocolate is, you know, again, not very precise, but it's going to get us pretty close uh, to that goal. Love that. And hey, you know, we're, we're probably looking at, uh, you know, the first week of October when we release this. So there's probably uh, a lot of holiday uh, Halloween candy out there that people can uh, get one of those sampler packs uh, for. So great timing Absolutely. with this episode is uh, probably bags of this. Uh, I was at Costco the other day and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you could uh, do a hundred or so uh, biofeedback practices, uh, get one of those Costco bags. So let, let's shift into what you mentioned now. So I got I got the piece of, uh, you know, I, of course, you know me, I'm going to go for the dark chocolate uh, because I want to eat it afterwards and not doing dairy that I need that dark chocolate. How the heck do I get that to warm up? Like now that I know cold hands and as a somebody who suffers occasional migraines, including one yesterday, this is very, very timely for me. So I got a piece of chocolate in my hand. Now, now what am I going to do uh, to, to get that thing to start to, to melt? Uh, so uh, since you are a very seasoned HRV practitioner, I would uh, I would start with doing some HRV breathing and see what happens. Because uh, you know, that's a 
obviously a good way to engage your parasympathetic yeah. nervous system and that will have an effect uh, on your blood vessels. Um, but then um, another way to do this um, uh, is to come up with your image of warmth. Um, and that's going to be a different thing for different people. You know, for some people, it's, you know, being on the beach, you know, sitting out in the warm sun. Uh, for other people, it's, uh, you know, being uh, in a uh, you know, snowed in ski cabin in front of a warm fire, you know, wrapped in a blanket uh, or holding a warm cup of, uh, you know, cocoa or you know, whatever beverage you'd like to, you know, to have in there. Um, so spend a little time thinking of, you know, what, what image to you says warmth, it's gonna be different things. And sometimes people come up with uh, images that, you know, really like are just really unique to them. So what there is no right or wrong, whatever your image of warmth uh, might be, um, that's what it is. You know, for me, it's often kind of curling up on the uh, couch in a blanket with my dog because you know, she is really, really warm and she never <laughs> has cold hands. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, whatever that image uh, might be. Um, and then giving yourself permission to just focus on that image. And this is the tricky part. We don't want to focus on, are my hands warming up? Uh, mm. Or am I doing this right? Yeah. We're just, you know, sitting, you know, on your beach, in your ski cabin, you know, with your pet, with your loved one, you know, with your cup of, you know, warm beverage. And just, you know, letting yourself sink into that image. Um giving your hands permission to do whatever they, they want, right? Because um, uh, temperature is very, very uh, vulnerable to effort. Um, mm. be because your blood vessels are innervated by sympathetic nerves only, right? And guess what effort is? Sympathetic activity, right? So as soon as you, you try raising your finger temperature, as soon as you go to, is this working? Am I doing this right? Uh, you know, is my finger temperature rising? All of that is effort. Your sympathetic activity increases and your blood vessels constrict. Interesting. Uh, so that's not what we want. You know, that's counterproductive. So the idea is to focus on, on the process, not the outcome. Uh, giving your hands permission to do whatever they're going to do, giving that piece of chocolate permission to, you know, to melt or not yeah. to melt, you know, it's going to do what it's going to do. Um, and for you to just really stay with uh, your image of warmth or with your breath, if that's what you're doing. Again, it's, it's the same, it's the same process and, you know, give it, give it a few minutes to start with. Uh, sometimes when people have really cold hands, it can take, you know, 20 minutes for hands to warm up. Um, but, you know, obviously you're not going to start with a 20 right. minute uh, practice, give it, give it a couple of minutes, see what happens. Um, and then um, as, as needed, gradually uh, increase that, increase that practice. And as you get the hang of it, you'll actually be able to um, warm up your hands much quicker, but initially you might need to increase the time um, before being able to go back to uh, a much quicker uh, practice. But, you know, th those two are my uh, go-tos, breathing um, and uh, or uh, your image of warmth uh, that tends to uh, do the trick for most people. And I'm sure you could probably put your resonance frequency with, uh, you know, I always need Absolutely. something for my brain to chew on anyway, or it'll go out into outer space in the way it does. So, you know, probably bringing those two things together if... Uh, Somebody is, I think, especially for us that have been doing resonance frequency breathing for years now, throwing that visualization on top of that, uh, I, I assume would be an, an okay practice uh, to do for folks. Absolutely. You can start, you can start out with, you know, a couple of minutes of 
uh, resonance frequency breathing, just to you know, get your body into that uh, you know familiar rhythm, um, and then uh, bring in your image of warmth. And you know, if resonance frequency breathing rate is familiar, your body is likely to kind of stay stay, stay in it already. Um, or you might have that pacer kind of in the background to every not once in a while check yeah. in and um, and then really bring your attention to the Focus image in on that. Awesome. So are there any, like one of the things as you were talking about, and I love the chocolate idea. Like, like I, I love that, but just, is there any, like, I'm thinking, I think somewhere in my HRV device drawer, I might have a, poc, a pulse oximeter that does temperature. Are there any, for, for us, us geeks out there that always like to quantify it, uh, maybe more than melting chocolate. Like, are there are there other simple sort of hacks to to make, check this out? Uh, any other suggestions if somebody wants to sort of look at collecting uh, uh, more quantifiable data on a, a temperature biofeedback practice? Yeah, yeah. There's so temperature is a, your cheapest uh, biofeedback uh, modality in a lot of ways. Um, so many people have probably seen, you know, mood rings and those dots that you put on your hand. Um, oh, yeah. it's, it's you know pretty crude and probably about as accurate as chocolate, maybe a tiny bit better. Uh, but it, it, they work, right? Again, yeah. you know, it's it's not going to be terribly precise, but it will give you an idea of what's going on with your hands, both the mood rings and those dots. So, uh, and those are very inexpensive. So you can, you could do that. Yep. Uh, if you do want to get precise uh, data, um, there are digital thermometers um, that are designed to just like, you know, tape on your finger or hold between your fingertips. I do think that taping it with paper tape uh, it just makes your life easy. You don't have to sit there, you know, pinching yeah. uh, the thermistor. Uh, but there is a device called um, the stress thermometer. If you enter that into you know, Amazon, for example, it's about $25. Um, it's a digital, it has a nice digital display. It's quite precise. It doesn't record any data, but, you know, it displays your temperature very, very accurately. It's inexpensive. It's great. Um, and a friend of mine, um, you know, Dr. Chris Gilbert actually put me onto an, an even cheaper way to do this, uh, aquarium thermometers. You know, the, they also, they, they, it's a plastic digital yeah. display that I, uh, that gets clipped in your aquarium and it has a long um um you know long wire with a thermostat at the end that would go into the water so it actually looks very similar to this human stress right. thermometer and they're quite accurate and they're even less expensive they're under ten dollars um so you know and I, I i have one of them it works so why not awesome. it's an aquarium thermometer just make sure that it's the kind that has the wire that and with a thermistor at the end so you can tape it to your finger um cheap accurate, um, easy to get. Kind of the, to, to start to wrap us up here is, so so let's say I've got the aquarium thermometer on, I, I, I'm, I'm visualizing warmth, it's me, so I probably have the paster in the background. So, you know, I, I got this going on. So is there sort of like, and I know I'm going to use a word that you, I know you probably won't like, so you can reframe it, but like, what am I looking for success-wise? Am I looking for a degree, two degrees? Is it shut up, Matt, and be in the moment? You're just ruining it. Like, what What am I sort of, is, is somebody who may pick up one of these or has a, a $10 thermometer hanging around the house, 
what, what am I sort of looking for? Because the chocolate melting is kind of a tangible thing you can feel. If I'm looking at temperature, is there sort of like, I'm sure there's baselines and a lot of things, but what am I, as the average person, maybe looking for as, hey, I can see this is really having a metric. Because I imagine just holding my fingers together probably creates a little warmth just with my fingers together, I would think maybe. So am I looking for a couple degrees increase over 10 minutes? What am I looking for? Uh, so great question. Um, and when the time is right, it's very important, right? Um, I don't I don't want people thinking about this during the practice. That's that's the yeah. shut up, shut up mad yes. side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but afterwards, absolutely. But, you know, you're absolutely right. We do want to know uh, the outcome. You know, we, you know that's a that's why biofeedback is so wonderful, is we actually get quantifiable outcomes. Um, so the general aim, like where we're going with this, is 95 degrees Fahrenheit. We want to be able to, um, during the practice, warm up the hands to 95 degrees about three quarters of the time, about 70% of the time. Now, your hands don't have to be at 95 degrees all the time. Let me just make that clear. Okay. Uh, they won't be, and that's okay. Uh, but for the practice, um, you know, about 70% of your practices, you know, over time, um, you know, getting to that 95 degree mark, uh, research shows that people who are working on uh, various symptoms like anxiety and Raynaud's disease and uh, migraines and high blood pressure, uh, in order to see improvement, um, it's important to learn how to hit that 95 degree mark. So that's the ultimate goal. Um, the typical a range of normal, uh, quote unquote, finger temperature is between 88 and 95 degrees. So we kind of generally most of the time want to be in that range. Um, and for people who are starting off with finger temperature that's lower, um, the colder your hands, the harder it is to warm them up. Mm -hmm. uh, so if someone is starting with hands in the 60s, uh, which happens particularly for folks who have Raynaud's uh, mm -hmm. disease, um, it, so 60s is cold. Wow. <laughs> right? so, yeah. 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 Hot, so what 60s. was that disease again? That sounds... Uh, Raynaud's disease. Um, it's when the blood flow to the fingers and toes and nose and you know, ears uh, kind of gets really, really constricted. And uh, the, you know, say the fingers turn colors, you know, they turn wow. white and blue and red and that's quite painful. And uh, yeah. yeah, not not a fun experience. You know, uh, people who have Raynaud's, you know, are probably cringing listening to this. It's, it, it's painful. Uh, but uh, thermal biofeedback uh, works, um, you know, quite well uh, to help yeah, it, right? So, you know, if somebody's hands are really cold, um, you know, high 60s uh, or low 70s, sometimes half a degree uh, initially, like and it, it's going to be really hard to move it initially. Um, so uh, half a degree is absolutely a success, right? Um, and uh, um, you know, with time, um, you know, Folks with very cold hands can and do get to that 95 degrees, as hard as it might be to believe. Um, you know, I've, I've seen uh, people do this at our clinic all the time. Um, but initially, you know, half a degree, a degree, you know, maybe a degree and a half, like, you know, a little, little, little bit at a time. Um, and once temperature figures out how to get moving, um, you know, it will, um, it, it won't be like half a degree until 95 forever, right? It's just, you know, initially it's going to be very, very slow progress. And then it's like, we're going to pick up, uh, for people who, who are starting off in mid to high seventies, uh, which is more common than high sixties or low seventies, um, success is going to be a little, um, 
a little uh, faster, but still, you know, a degree is going to be uh, a really good, uh, a really good outcome. And then it's going to pick up um, for folks who are closer to, you know, 80, uh, 85, you know, they may be seeing uh, a change. It could still be a degree or they may be seeing like five or six or 10 degrees. Uh, it, that's, that's where it's going to get a lot more variable. Um, and for folks who are starting off in the high 80s, uh, they might be able to get to 95 fairly quickly. Um, so it just really depends on where you're starting off. Awesome. Any other things that uh, questions I may have not have asked? Because this is such a fascinating uh, uh, topic. And I just I, I really think just shows the power of biofeedback, um, you know, in these the slight variations that, you know, again, HRV biofeedback will will take a lot of people there. But just like these little variations to address specific issues. But any, any other additional things before we wrap up that I may not have asked? Um, yeah, I think there's one thing that I um, I meant to talk about earlier on when it actually fits theme-wise better, but let me come back to uh, normal uh, lowering of the temperature of the hands, right? Uh, when we are stressed, you know, people often experience like, you know, when you're stressed, your hands get cold, right? I know my my hands get cold uh, when, I, uh, when I get stressed and this happens for a lot of people. Um, and the reason for it um, is that, you know, your uh, blood is um, getting redirected to other areas of the body, right? You know, if you think about what the stress response is, it's the fight or flight response. So your body is preparing for running or fighting, right? That response uh, happens whether you are actually about to run or fight or whether you're just sitting on the couch worrying about things, yeah. right? You know, the, that part of your brain really doesn't know the difference. So it's preparing your body for running and fighting. And if you were to be running and fighting, you would need that blood in your major muscles, major organs, uh, and not uh, in your hands and feet. Uh, so that's where, that's why your hands and feet might uh, get colder. And another evolutionary uh, reason for this is if you are fighting, um, you know, of course, your extremities are the ones that are most likely to get injured. So if there is mm -hmm. reduced blood flow, uh, you are less likely to bleed out and die. Uh, so it's a you know neat little <laughs> adaptation that our bodies are uh, are performing, and you know we don't need it very much these days, but obviously still comes in yeah. uh, um, handy uh, for uh, for some folks. Uh, but I think it's just important to realize that this is that your hands getting cold when you're stressed is an entirely normal process. Um, we just don't want that to be hanging around, right? You know, we don't want cold hands to, to be there all the time. Uh, you know, if you get stressed um, and we want the hand the hand temperature to recover once the stressor is over, and that's what we're working on with biofeedback is increasing the baseline and helping people recover faster um, after stressful situations. Amazing. Well, what, what a great nerdy way to end the nerdy podcast that I absolutely loved. And let me again, one more time, uh, biofeedback and mindfulness in everyday life. Um, if you haven't picked up Ina's book, pick it up. Uh, if you've listened to more than one episode of this podcast, I can promise you, uh, you will be as enthralled with it as I was. You get all the great stuff we talked about in this podcast. And then like the temperature piece was just like a little bit of a, a different way to look at biofeedback than I was really aware about this going into. And again, as we talked about hitting things slightly different, complimentary maybe, but but slightly different in a way that uh, I think a lot of folks would would find it interesting to add to their, their practice. So uh, Ina, as always, thank you so much for being on the show. Always learn so much and 
As always, you can find us at OptimalHRV.com. Uh, show notes, all those goodies uh, on there. And uh, appreciate you joining us, Ina. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see everybody next week. Thank you, Matt.